On this week's Bet the Process podcast, Rufus and I talked to Stefania Bell about the Patrick Mahomes injury in detail, and we give you some insight, hopefully, into how effectively he'll play. We also talk a little bit about my big birthday bash and the Bet the Process Invitational uh, that happened again. Um, and then we finish with some analysis of this coming weekend's games. And I give a pick, although Rufus doesn't really give one. So with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not the typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. Welcome to the first episode of the bet the process podcast where jeff is 50 crazy and rufus is joining me crazy rufus is still in his 30s he's a youngin although i say one day we'll look the same age maybe not anymore my my hope was around this this age spread and you've somehow managed to still look pretty young for a for a for gambler type for, for a person, person of type. my type. For a person huh? of your type. Okay. For a person okay. who's led the life that you've led. No, just kidding. Anyways, uh, yeah, Rufus and I are fresh off my 50th birthday party extravaganza, um, which he was nice enough to come visit me at. We we actually played golf. We did. And I Jeff, beat him. Jeff beat me. We went to Silverado, which is where they play that you Napa with the handicap, we should say. Fortnite event. Yes, I beat you with the handicap. Yeah. Where they beat the where they play the Fortnite event. Um, Rufus was a little worried for a while that I was gonna beat him outright, but then he somehow found his stroke in the middle of the in the middle of the match. Um well, Jeff, I hadn't played since I hadn't picked up a club since September, and no, you're I'm out not, here taking lessons me. twice believe, a week. I was I, I was hoping I you would wish be. I took lessons twice a week. I, I hadn't taken a lesson in quite some time because of this rain. The rain here has really put a damper on things. See what I did there? Get it? Yeah, yeah. A dampening, not a damper. Something of that sort. Um, Rufus, how are you? How has your week been besides all the party shenanigans? Your gambling is going well. Your, yeah. We're, you said your college bas- basketball has kind of turned around. That seems good, right? It has. It has. That's been nice. It was a really, really nice time out in California with you and your family and and your friends. And I, you know, it's been a good week and it's nice being in the land of sunshine right now in Las Vegas. Did you, um, so you're mostly betting, have you been betting a lot of golf? I imagine is, you know, is this, is this week's tournament, a big one being at Torrey Pines and it seems like the market is finally overcorrected on John Rom. So you're not just a John Rom fan anymore. I haven't been really betting on John Rom. I don't think I've had any bets on him this season. I think I have a bet on him against Morikawa for this, just a matchup for this tournament, but that's kind of how it goes. You know, I've been on Rom a lot over the last few years, famously, but there's a lot of golfers. I've had stretches where I love them and then the market catches up. And I think what happens is eventually either I go to the market or the market comes to me. And I think this is true, not just in golf, but in, in other sports, if you're off market on a team consistently, that's probably not going to remain the same perpetually. Something's going to change and either you're either you're wrong or the market's wrong. And so 
I, I guess, I, I, I guess I was right on Rob, but there's plenty I'm wrong on. I've been, I've been on the fade Taylor Montgomery train this season, which has not been playing well for me. He's putting like a, like the best putter in the world, which he is, but he's still been putting at a level that you would, you don't expect the best putter in the world to be able to putt at. In golf, um, in the ROM situation, why you were off market for him for so long, not for so long, but like a, a year, right? It was about a year that you were probably off, not off more. I mean, you were different than the market, right? I, I've been, I was high, probably high on him for a few years. Not, Do you have any idea why that was when you deconstruct that? I do. But you're not going to tell us. Because... I'm probably not going to tell you, though. Um, okay. Uh, that's not helpful. And that's one of the reasons that people get annoyed at you for having a teaser calculator, because you don't give up any of your golf secrets. Probably. Okay. I'll give so you all the teaser secrets you want, though. I, you already have. Exactly. Um, okay. What about in football? I mean, because in football, we have a situation where... A lot of times when you're off market, we're pretty. It's pretty easy to understand why. Like in the case of the Niners being off market, it's because of Purdy, and and you know every week that gets a little bit closer to market. Um, are there? I mean, it, it, in in a lot of these other sports, it's easy to understand. In golf, it sounds like it's easy to understand for you. It's just not something that you make publicly available that goes into your into your model. I don't know for sure, but I have some theories on it. And I think that there's certain things that maybe the market puts more credence to than I do. And John Rahm is just, I think his floor is very high. He's very consistently good. He's got a really good all-around game and it may not be flashy, but he, I, I think it's kind of, I, I believe he has the, the game to so sort of sustain slumps or, or not sustained. Well, you've always talked to, about this whole idea of out having of a, a very simple swing, right? This idea that like, there's, you know, if something's wrong, there's three things he can check and then he can fix it. And then he's, he's good. Look, and, when, when you're yeah. that, when you're as good as, is John Rahm is at driving the golf ball, it's going to be hard to have a really bad week. Yeah. Yeah. And Got I it. think the knock on him was, he wasn't winning as much. He did. He didn't have the upside. He was maybe playing it too safe with, approach shots sometimes and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I, I think his game is clearly always, I mean, I've thought he was the best player in the world for, for some time. And actually I think Rory overtook him for a little while, but he's been on quite a heater the last what, six months or so. And as I say that he's actually, I think over par for he's one over par for, for his round today. So oh, I forgot they started today, huh? This is yeah. a five. This is the, it's a good move for them. That way there's, you don't have to decide between watching Kyle Stanley collapse and watching the uh, conference championship games. Oh, oh wait, that's that was, good. That was, that was, wait, this is the, what we're, I guess this is the 11 year anniversary of that. Didn't Rom win this last year? Uh, no, Luke list won last year over Will Zalatoris in a playoff hmm. in a, in a matchup of the worst two putters. What are you, who are you long on this week in the golf? Who was I long on? Um, I think Brendan Steele. I mean, I have to pull up the sheet a little bit and I can do that. I'll tell you, I'm long on. We got to start Europe. leading into golf because in about three weeks, we're going to become a golf podcast after that's the show is over. This is so, very and true. that's why people come to us. So we need to start leading into that and spoiler alert, talking about all sorts of golf stuff. I'll say it's, it, it's it's nice that golf's back, and it's nice that I was able to play a round of golf too, which kind of energizes me for golf betting a little bit as well. 
Yep. Let's see. This week I was on, let's see, Bo Hostler. We liked, we liked Brendan Steele. We didn't really like anybody at the top. I mean, technically we, we made Rom plus 496 to win. So no value there, but unless you could have bet at profit exchange and gotten five to one in New Jersey, although that's actually probably not value after the commission, but but basically I was on market on ROM, but I mean, just think about that plus 496. And if you look at the European event this year or this week, Rory, who does not acknowledge the existence of Patrick Reed is a, I have him as a 29% um, to win. No, no, actually, what is it? Maybe a little higher than that. So uh, I, basically I, I make him plus whatever plus 270 is, which is incredibly high for a field that, you know, Shane Lowry is there. I think Fleetwood, Patrick Reed, some other guys. And it, it is just Rory has been on such a heater the last few months. It's like him and Rom and then everybody else. Jeff, you're muted. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Do you have a tilted moment of the week? Ooh. Maybe let's see on the golf course with you. There was the, uh, I don't think it was a tilted moment. I was actually proud of your putt, but I, I had gotten back into our match and it was a par five. Do you remember this, Jeff? It was downwind, yeah, but from two, but, but from 296 out, I actually got it. Like green. I got it to, green I got side. it almost to the whole green. high. Yeah. Whole high, like yeah. to the side of the green. Yeah. And I, I had a kind of bad, I kind of had a, a little, a little too aggressive on the sort of tight lie chip uh, up over a hill. And I had like, I two putted it for my par and Jeff had a little like 10 footer with about, I'd say like seven inches of break maybe. And maybe a little less than that. I don't know. No, I think it had seven a, I think Sorry, it was, seven inches. I, wait, no, wait, it wasn't that much, but it was, it was, it was. <laughs> it's funny because I remember it as being longer with more break, of course. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say it was like a, it was, Maybe a 15 footer with, but it was, you know, a foot outside the hole. Yeah, that's about right. I'd and, say, yeah. and and Jeff hits this putt that tracks perfectly, and, and and he for for his par, and, I, you know, I was, he was stroking there, so that was that, that was my net par. It was my net par. It was his. Oh, so I tied sorry, you because I was par, I was three I up. Yeah. yeah, I could have gotten. I would have tied tied the match up there. I believe. Or gone, or maybe gotten to one down. No, I would have. You would have gone to one down with two left, with two to go. Instead, it was two down with two to go, go. and and then yeah, and then, and you then I pushed the uh, push seventeen, and on eighteen, it didn't matter that I birdied it. It's a nice birdie though. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, my tilted moment. God, I don't know what my tilted moment was. I had like a, you know, it's pretty hard to have a tilted moment when you have like a wonderful birthday weekend, but. Was it when um, I beat you at Catan? No, because I, I won the game, before, the first game before that. Um, my tilted moment, um, it was probably just this, gen the general Mahomes situation, right? Because I had the, the Chiefs, I had the over in that game. I had the Chiefs in the in a tease and a Wong tease with the Eagles, and um, you know, obviously, I had the Chiefs minus the eight and a half because 
I uh, picked all the home teams on Tony Kornheiser and Tony Kornheiser was nice enough to mention me on PTI last week, which I finally got a chance to listen to saying that I took all the home teams. And so, you know, I mean that, that even with all of that, right. The chiefs had a reasonable chance to cover that game. They're up by 10. um, And Jacksonville's like, you know, did the smart thing and kicked a field goal and gave themselves a chance to, to tie that game or, you know, but, but essentially, um, Mahomes getting injured was a little bit of my tilted moment. And now, um, going into this weekend, you know, worrying about Mahomes and, you know, we we're about to do a pretty large deep dive on the Mahomes injury. So it pr- probably makes sense now to, to welcome in Stefania Bell, um, who is the sort of, uh, ESPN injury expert as it pertains to fantasy, but obviously can be transferred. So we'll, we'll welcome her in now. And then on the flip side, we'll t- give you our picks and, and talk a little bit more about our post analysis of that interview. We now welcome into the podcast a long, dear friend of mine, Stefania Bell, who I knew before before you were even really on television, right? You were just getting started on television back in the That's day. Right. Yeah. I mean, you knew me before at the very beginning, the very beginning when I was uh, first working for Rotowire. How uh, did you get into this racket? Uh, I'm, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version, which is still probably longer than you care to hear. But uh, every, most people know I'm a physical therapist. I've worked in sports medicine for 20 years. And um, and not only did I treat patients, athletes, it was mostly, it was all orthopedics and sports really for me, but uh, I also taught. So people were asking me questions all the time between patients, my students. And so I got used to explaining things, always was a huge sports fan. And you know, when you watch TV broadcasts, we still do it, right? There's an injury that happens and you think, well, if only somebody would tell them this to say, or I would hear things that were incorrect. And I constantly felt like there should be a presence of some kind of analyst um, at a network who could help out with things like that. And that was around the time that legal analysis was really taking off. Remember after the OJ trial? I mean, legal analysis on TV really didn't exist till after that. And I saw, you know, here's lawyers who are practicing who aren't actually working on the case, but they can provide insight and analysis uh, based on their experience as to what are the steps that are happening and sort of translate it for the public. And I viewed medical analysis the same way um, in sports. And I thought somebody could be doing this. And then subsequent to me starting to think about that, I was also playing in fantasy football league. I played in this big co-ed competitive league in Northern California. And uh, people were always asking me injury questions. And it started to occur to me that people were figuring out they could get an edge with understanding injuries better. So kind of those two things came together in my mind. And I thought, well, how can I get into this? And a friend of mine was doing a draft board business and partnered with ESPN at the time. But really, it was him bringing me to the Fantasy Sports Trade Association, which is now FSGA, but at the time, FSTA. And me talking to people and saying, hey, I have this idea. And I don't know what you thought of it. I'm trying to think of the point at which I met you. But just talking to people, I think most people thought, well, that's kind of a cool idea. Like injuries are important. But the response that I typically got was no one's going to pay you to do this. I mean, you can you can do that. But it, people didn't see it as a thing. And I'm like, well, if you're telling me the information is valuable, and I know people are asking me these things all the time, then somebody's going to value it. Um, and value it means pay me for it. <laughs> so 
Uh, I just started talking to people and, and, and that's, I, I did something for KFFL at the very beginning. Do you remember KFFL? Sure. Back in the, yeah. yeah, of course. Um, they kind of gave me a little space, but it was like an inline inside somebody else's piece. And it was like one little thing. And, uh, but it got me doing something online. And that's when Peter Shanky noticed what I was doing and said, Hey, come on over to Rotowire and we'll give you your own column and the magazines and that kind of got it out there and they launched with Sirius XM. So I started doing radio and all of those things together and getting to meet Matthew. I think when he went to ESPN, Matthew Berry, of course, he was tasked with building the fantasy department because it was brand new and he had just come the year before I went there. And so he basically had seen my stuff and said, you know, we're building this department. And he liked, he, there, there were no women. And you know, back then there were hardly any women in fantasy sports. I mean, I could count them on one hand and there might've been two, you know, besides me. And uh, so I think, you know, Matthew was, I give him all the credit in the world because without him basically saying to ESPN, this is a good idea. It's different. Uh, nobody's doing this. She plays fantasy. She gets it, and, and and the rest is history. I came out, and and uh, it I never left. <laughs> so been here, and this is my gosh, what is it? Fifteenth um, year with ESPN. Yeah, that was right around the same time that I met Matthew Ashley. So it's it's pretty funny because obviously he has had a formative um, impact on this industry broadly. So explain a little bit about sort of the process that you have in analyzing injury information. Um, we're, we're a process-based podcast, and maybe we can use this sort of Mahomes injury this week as an example, meaning, um, you know, I assume that you were watching that game. I assume that as soon as that happened, your mind started to race. Can you kind of take us through a little bit of like what that process looked like for you? Yeah, it's funny because I, I was home and uh, I don't get to go home to California very often. So my first thought is, please don't let there be a lot of injuries because I'm not working right now. <laughs> sure enough. Um, so the, the way it works for me is, I like I said, I'm a physical therapist. So it, the visual always helps. Like right away, you're thinking, oh, that didn't look good or that looked awkward. Or, yeah, you, you see the play and then you see the player's reaction. And I start thinking about what are all the things that could be. Um, I will say um, th that there are a lot of video analyzers out there now, um, many of them medical. And I, I just, I kind of promised myself when I got into the industry that I wouldn't uh, diagnose off of video because at the time there was nobody else really doing what I did. So I felt this responsibility to not make mistakes. Um, and if you have practiced in the world of sports medicine, you know that sometimes something can look awful and be minor and vice versa. Um, and also you can think when you see something, oh, that is a mechanism for X, Y, or Z injury. But then you also have to do the part where you talk to the athlete, you're doing manual testing of the athlete, you're putting all those things together plus imaging, and that's how you come to the conclusion of what it is. So a little bit dangerous to diagnose off the video, but you can't help if you're trained in, you know, if you've worked in sports medicine as a, a PT, athletic trainer, a physician, your mind starts differentially diagnosing as you're watching something. So you sort of have these categories of what you think it could be. Um, 
And so that that's always the first thing to me. And I will rewatch an injury sequence and all the highlights. And now we get such good angles. Um, I will look at the all 22 films sometimes the next day to see if there's something else um, that I didn't see when I was watching the game. But all those different uh, visual angles give the initial input. I look at what the reporting is. Um, can't give away all my secrets, but I think that, uh, you know, I, I at this point have a lot of really good sources, with both inside uh, the various leagues, because I do more than football, and outside. And so uh, depending on who it is, uh, what player it is, what team it is, who I think might be consulted on an injury, things like that, I start piecing things together. And depending on the information I'm able to get, and usually it's our insiders who are reporting the best information because they get it from agents. And uh, although that's a little dangerous because sometimes it's not quite accurate because if you remember that game telephone where he passed the word along and the first person to the eighth person, it sounded different. The word was incorrect. That's what can happen with the medical information too. And somebody, medical, team doctor, uh, consulting orthopedist, whoever might be talking to the agent. And by the time it gets translated out or they're telling someone who's telling the agent who's talking, then words get um, confused. And sometimes the information is 100% accurate, but you're piecing that together with the visual of what you saw. Um, Sometimes where the player goes, if they're if they travel to a certain city and they have a particular type of injury, it'll automatically get me thinking of who they could be seeing. All that stuff goes into what I'm thinking about what the nature of the injury is and 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 how severe it is. And it it just really depends on how deep my sourcing is, how much detail I know. But I pay attention to all the subsequent days of reporting uh, what the player is doing. Um, again, like who they're seeing, where they're going for treatment, all that kind of thing. And then that it's the analysis is always evolving, right? So it's not necessarily what you learn immediately after. I mean, sometimes I'll know right after something happens, what it is and how bad it is, but sometimes it takes two or three days to get there. Uh, so it, it varies a little bit depending on, on the information, but the analysis continues to evolve based on what's available. So in the case, can we go to the specific case of the Mahomes, obviously, because that's the one that people are pretty interested in. When you saw that, what was your initial reaction? Um, and, you know, what, what were your initial thoughts? I think specifically in that game, it was interesting because, um, you know, obviously since it happens in the first half and he's not, he, he's, he didn't come back right away um, and he was standing on the sidelines. It was a, it was like a question of, will he come back in the second half kind of thing? So as you think about sort of like your process as you went through that, what can you take us through the steps of like what your thought process was there or kind of like yeah. where you got to? He, um, so his injury actually was very n- nicely visible. So you could see what happened a very good visual angle on what happened. Um, it, it's interesting because it brings up a topic that I bet you're going to hear a lot about in the off season. Um, well, at least you will if you pay attention to the medical side, because I think there's going to be something that ends up potentially going as far as uh, health and safety committee, going to competition committees and so on. But it's uh, what they call a hip drop tackle, where a defender is trying to bring a player down and they kind of fall onto their leg. And what happens is exactly what happened with Patrick Mahomes. You see there, his foot 
got twisted outward. So his toes are pointing outward relative to his uh, lower leg. That is the classic mechanism for a high ankle sprain. So if you see a guy and you see all of a sudden their foot gets rotated so their toes are pointing out relative to their shin bone and that wind up, that's the exact mechanism for a high ankle sprain. Then you see he gets fallen on, you see his hip drops, like you see his hip fall in, his knee bends in. And oftentimes because of the foot being anchored by the body weight falling on it and the knee bending in relative to the hip, you get an MCL sprain concurrently. So we see high ankle sprains and MCLs go together a lot. That's what happened with Debo Samuel, by the way. So um, my thought, as you're asking me about my process is, ooh, high ankle sprain, that didn't look good, MCL probably. And then you see Patrick Holmes get up and what does he grab first? He grabs his knee. And the thing that he kept hanging on to was his knee. Well, the other thing that can happen if you have enough force through your ankle is you can end up with a fracture of one of the bones, the fibula on the outside of the shin. So in my mind, I'm going high ankle, fibula fracture, MCL sprain. Like these are the list of things, right? So what they do next is going to tell me a little bit about what happened. He's saying, I, I can't remember exactly how quickly he came off, but you see him, you know, he, he gets up, he gets off. And uh, I know I'm talking a little bit circular, but this helps you compare, like this helps for the point of reference of what I'm thinking. When Tony Pollard got hurt this weekend, he left on a cart with an air cast. And I'm like, and it was very similar mechanism to Dax. I mean, to Dax, to uh, Patrick Mahomes. And I'm thinking fracture. He's in the air cast. They're concerned about a fracture. Uh, so they're stabilizing in that way. They didn't do that with Patrick. So I'm thinking, okay, uh, it's probably not, it's not an obvious fracture. It takes you back to what you think it could be. He's standing on the sidelines. Okay. He's able to keep a little bit of weight on it, even though he struggled to walk and just sort of watching what they're going to do. And as soon as they take him back to the locker room, I'm thinking in my head, they're going to x-ray to make sure there's not a, a subtle fracture that they're missing, but also with a high ankle sprain, you can't see ligament damage on an x-ray and stadium x-rays are notoriously bad anyway, but you can see in the case of a severe high ankle sprain, if the ligaments are completely torn, the bones at the, the two leg bones will separate. And so you'll see a gapping over the ankle and that will tell you it's very severe and nobody's going back out there. Okay. Um, even though you can't see the ligament damage itself, you can see the, the alignment of the bones. And if there's a, a big gap at the ankle, he would be done. When he came back out with his helmet on, I was like, okay, it can't have been that severe because he's still got helmet and pads on. So there's a potential for him to go back in. And then it becomes a question of how concerned are they that about how, uh, you know, what grade the injury is, because we grade these ligament injuries, one, two, and three. Are they going to let him try to go back out there? Because clearly he wants to push it, but he's not going to be able to play the way he did before the injury. So in my mind, I've now decided they're going to let him back out potentially if he wants to play, which he clearly did. Um, but I already know he's going to be compromised and I know exactly what's going to be difficult. He's not going to be able to weight bear fully. He's not going to be able to pivot. He's not going to be able to hand the ball off. He's not going to be able to drop back and he's not going to be able to scramble. So the thing you then worry about is if he does 
if he's in this position, he's going to have to get rid of the ball quickly and they're going to have to really protect him because if he gets fallen on again, you could take this injury that wasn't extreme and you could then have it become something worse. So those are all, there you go. I just, you know, spewed out, I just uh, spewed out what I was thinking the whole time. So then the question I have is, were you surprised that he came back out and were you, were you, um, were you surprised that he came back out and were you, sorry, I'm getting invaded by my no, I'm, I'm, I'm fully entertained by what's yeah. happening in the front Hold of the on, He wants me to open a card right now for him. Oh, it's, well. It is beautiful, James. I love it. Oh, that's <laughs> the sweetest thing ever. We should just leave that it's, in. Anyway, I so you, uh, we you walked. It's, I don't know if you know, but Jeff's 50th birthday was on Monday. I Is that true? I turned Happy 50. Uh, thanks, Stefania. Welcome to the club. <laughs> God. Wow, you're 50 people. also? I can't believe it. Well, that's what you're supposed to say. Exactly. And you're recording, so I won't say how much over 50, but let's just say I've been a card-carrying member for a little while. So. Um, okay, so back to this. So what, did you expect that he was going to come back out? It sounds like because uh, he came back out with his helmet on and his uniform on, you thought there was definitely a chance that he would just correct. I think the betting markets did not think he was coming back out or if they did, they th- thought he was going to be severely limited because the second half line was roughly with the, with the chief, with the chiefs uh, up already by a touchdown was even. And the total was 23 when the game total was 53. So both, both indicated that the market thought that he was not coming back out. So well- I'm going to interrupt you for a sec because um, part of it too was the fact that Henny performed well, you know, and, and so the, to me, with the things that are going through their mind, like, first of all, yes, helmet and pads meant to me, he has a chance to come back, right? They're not taking his helmet away, he's not. But part of what I w- was watching was how well are they doing? Because if they're doing well, and they don't need him, maybe they will hold him back just to be on the safer side. So that does factor into it a little bit. And you would expect that some clubs are going to do that. Of course, they're fighting for their lives to get onto the next round, right? If this is a regular season game, we look at that differently than we do in a playoff game. What do you think happened between the, he came comes back on the sidelines with, you know, uh, helmet, blah, blah, blah. And then what gives them the conviction to let him start the second half? Um, We don't know what they did in the locker room in terms of what they looked at and what they saw. I think, I think on the broadcast, they said they retaped him because that would make sense. They take all the tape down in there. They can now, uh, they can, they can, they can tape him. Um, you know, they, they may not have taken it all the way down. They may have just taken uh, a portion of it down. And they may have done a couple quick tests back in the locker room or the tunnel that we couldn't see that said to them, okay, if you can do these things, we'll let you go back out. We'll see, or, you know, kind of like, we'll see, we'll see. They may not have committed to him, but they may have just said, we'll see. And he he clearly was pushing them to go back out. So I think the combination of 
he really wants to go. And they probably had a conversation. You know, these things happen with conversations. That's the part I think people think there's like a decision and it's done. But there's all kinds of communication happening between, in this case, in Kansas City in particular, the head athletic trainer, Rick Burkholder, is long time. I mean, he's got so much experience. He's very well established. And he's got experience with Andy Reid. He was with Andy Reid in Philly and came over with him to Kansas City. Andy trusts Rick Burkholder as much as he trusts anyone he works with. I guarantee you that. And so there's a conversation that's happening too with the athlete of, you know, this is what we're seeing. This is what it looks like. But the minute we see you can't protect yourself or, you know, if if this or this or this happens and you're coming back out. I mean, it's not necessarily like once you get go back in, you can't reel him back out of the game. So again, I think this goes for just about every injury that happens in a game where you see a player potentially come back and then whether they stay or come out, it's, it's not once they've decided he can go back in that they're like, Oh, well, you know, we can't pull him back. They, they absolutely can. And they reserve the right to do it if they see something they don't like. So let's fast forward to this week and what you've seen this week. And, you know, the thing everyone wants to hear, right. Which is like, what's, what are his prospects look like? Obviously, we know that in the in the line right now, there is an indication that um, Mahomes will be less than 100%. I think that's fair to say. Yes. Um, and, you know, Rufus, maybe you can sort of speak to that. And then maybe we can talk a little bit about whether you, Stefania, agree with the that sort of like probability um, assessment and, you know, what, what you think his prospects are for this week. So Rufus, why don't you go ahead and talk a little bit about the numbers and then maybe Stefania can get into a little bit about what she thinks on that. Okay. So from my perspective right now, the game is a pick. If Mahomes was fully healthy, I would have the chiefs as about a four and a half point favorite. And so I have Mahomes being worth about eight points over Chad Henney in a full game. If Mahomes is hundred percent healthy. So right there, it's saying that, you know, Mahomes is probably going to play, but is somewhere between um, like right in the middle between regular Mahomes and, and Henny, which it, I mean, I would love to hear your sort of thoughts on, on how, um, how limited he could actually be and, and what impact you think that could have. This is uh this is really interesting because this is literally could change daily uh, from now till game time. And as we're recording this, we know that he participated in practice today, Wednesday, but we don't know how much. We don't know what he did. Um, I've seen a couple little clips um, from reporters that were there. Uh, it didn't really reveal much. Uh, he's clearly not going to be moving 100%, nor would you expect that. The question is, to me, if you're trying to evaluate it, Let's say the the worst he is, is what you saw when he came back in the second half. And uh, you saw where he was limited, couldn't put full weight on that right foot, was picking it up in the air sometimes, threw a jump pass on the opposite leg uh, because he couldn't do it on that side. I mean, that speaks to his athleticism and why you're still like, even if he's not 100%, he's still, uh, you still have confidence uh, in his ability. Um, but he can't run and he can't drop back. And if you're thinking about how defenses are going to scheme that, I would suggest that bringing pressure, you know, it changes the game that way. Um, But what you can't predict with any kind of accuracy is how much better a player will be 
following an injury every single day as they receive treatment and it progresses. Because for example, with a high ankle sprain, and clearly this is not the most severe. So we, I talked about grade one, two, and three. Clearly it's not a grade three because that would be surgical. He wouldn't be playing. He'd be out. He would never have come back in the second half of last week. So if you look at the discomfort he had and how he was moving, you're thinking it's somewhere between a one and a two, like what we'd call maybe a two minus. And this is, again, if you're just thought process projecting, not based on actual knowledge, then that means based on this injury, he will have trouble putting full weight on the ankle. And when you weight bear, you crush down through that area where the high ankle ligaments are. So imagine you have something that's torn partially. And every time you step on it, you're stressing those things that are partially torn. So there's a combination of you know, discomfort, that's one factor. And the other is instability. And even if you ease up the discomfort, um, pain and inflammation goes down a little bit over the course of the week, you may have some little bit of instability in there that that you can't take care of. That's got to wait for the ligaments to heal. So there is no way for him to be a hundred percent by the weekend. The question is what percentage can he be and still perform at the level that gives you the confidence uh, to that, that he is going to be Patrick Mahomes-like? Because that's really the question. Will it be, will it be enough of, will the injury compromise him enough to change the way he plays the game? And that is going to be different for different people. In other words, you can't say, well, it's going to be eight days after the injury. So he'll be 82%. Like you, you just can't say that because it's so different from one athlete to the other. But what you can do is sort of watch what happens as the week progresses. So for me, my confidence already went up a little bit because he was out there today. Now he didn't do much of anything, but he was out there. And I didn't necessarily expect him to practice much, if really at all. But for him to be able to get some throwing in, you know, that it's going to test some things that's going to then give the medical staff feedback on, okay, they have a conversation. How did it feel when you threw? How did it feel when you did this? How did it feel when you did that? Here's what we need to do between today and tomorrow to get you to the next level. So um, yeah, I don't think he'll be a hundred percent, but I can't say yet how effective he'll be because we haven't, we haven't seen or heard enough to be able to get there yet. Does that make sense? Makes yeah, total it, sense. Uh, I think it's interesting because my initial, I think a lot of people would initially think that what he was in the second half is kind of like the floor, but in your article for ESPN, you kind of said that it can actually get worse a few days afterwards, which was really surprising to me. And so, that, so, so the time, I guess there's a lot we don't know. Well, it, yes. And wh what I meant by that is, so after, during a game, players have adrenaline. I mean, all kinds of things can happen. We've seen guys, you know, come back into games and have these heroic efforts. And then the next day they're, they're terrible. You hear they're out or they're done. You're like, wait, they played. Now they're out because that happens all the time. And adrenaline's powerful, but it's also in those first, especially the overnight after the game, 
you take the tape off, you do the things, even if you have somebody putting cold compression on, which is usually what they're doing and elevating and all these things to help with swelling, inflammation happens. That's part of the body's healing response. So you are going to get swelling in the air. You're going to get, and all of that makes it more painful. So typically what you see is that they'll feel a certain way when the game is over and in the immediate aftermath and the next day or next day or two, they will feel far worse. And then they'll have less mobility and they'll have more difficulty walking. And it just all cascades there. And that may subside and they improve again on day three. But what was interesting to me was Mahomes saying that he didn't feel as bad as he thought he would the next day. Guy's been hurt before. He also had a high ankle sprain on his opposite side a couple of years ago. So he has a, a recognition of what to expect and what the pain behavior and pattern usually is. So I trust his judgment more than I might somebody who'd never had it because he's had this experience before. He didn't feel as bad as he thought he would. He said they were happy with how he looked, you know, the next day. And that sort of allowed him to do a little bit more, I think, today than anybody was expecting. Um, it's still a day-to-day -day process because he goes out there today and if he didn't feel as good or all of a sudden he has way more swelling, then they, they drop the activity back down and, and it changes. But uh, that's typically with any injury where you're going to, you get bleeding uh, or swelling, it's going to be worse the next day or two. So like real quickly, let's cover a couple of other topics and we'll get you out of here. One is, is the impact that just betting has had, you obviously had made quite a bit of a career doing analysis for fantasy. Now that betting is legalized in the U S and obviously there was always a lot of probably interest that, of, that people had in looking at your analysis and they put their own sort of betting lens on it. But what, how, how do you think about, has that impacted how you do analysis at all? And do you think that should impact the way that um, the leagues look at sort of injuries broadly, making information more available for analysis? And you want me to answer this quickly. Okay. So, <laughs> because I have a lot of thoughts on it. As far as myself, my, you've heard, or at least I've tried to share with you how my process works. So that doesn't really change, right? I, I still look at injuries the same way. I, my analysis is the same. There's nothing that I do differently, nor do I think I should do it differently. Um, especially uh, because of uh gambling and, and, and the increase of gaming and everybody participating. I am big on transparency because I think uh, there's always going to be factors that we don't know. People try to put these boundaries on medicine. Like it, it's a grade one or grade two. So it's either this or it's that. And if you, if you spend any time with anyone in medicine, it, it's not black and white. That's just not how it works. I mean, they call medicine a practice. They call it an art because there aren't very many specifics. There's one tissue that we understand pretty well, and that's bone. And if you break a bone, you know what the rate of bone healing is. And we know it takes a fracture about six weeks to heal. And somewhere in that four to six week range, you're typically recovered enough from that. But if somebody breaks a bone, but they lose mobility during the time that they're casted, for example, then that can change what their trajectory is in terms of recovery. So every injury is individual. Every athlete has their own injury history. All of those things factor into the analysis of how you expect them to recover. And that changes, uh, that changes the lens for how you look at it. So I think for the, the gambling community, uh, 
it's important to do the same things you would in the fantasy community. And that's you find the analyst who's going to give you the most up-to-date information because the information you had at the time of the injury is not necessarily relevant one day later, two days later, four days later, right? And then you look at the source for the information because that it, precision matters when you're talking about medical stuff. Details matter. All the little stuff we talked about today, those things matter. Um, so to me, that it hasn't changed my analysis, but that's sort of where I see it. As far as the leagues, um, you bring up a point that's really important to me. I think at least the NFL has had injury reporting in place for a while, and it's pretty good. I mean, for what I expect them to deliver, right? Um you start to notice patterns. You notice teams who put tons of players on the injury report is questionable. And you know that they know who's playing and who isn't. And it's sort of a strategy to be like, okay, we're just going to list all these so that we don't get harassed. (laughs) I wasn't going to name names, Rufus, but yes. (laughs) But they throw all those names out there. And then you get um, teams that are, you know, they're pretty, they take players off the injury report, and sometimes you're like, how is that guy off the injury report? Because clearly he was still struggling. But I think for the most part, if you have a real obvious um, discrepancy between how that player is performing or what ends up happening on Sunday based on the injury reporting you did during the week, they can investigate it and you can get fined. And we've seen that happen in the NFL. The sports that I have a problem with, hockey, are this upper body and lower body injury. Uh, and their argument is that players will be targeted. Uh, and, and my argument back to that is, well, they are anyway. And it's not like the other teams don't know what happened. I mean, it's easy enough to go back in retrospect and get an idea of what the injury is. So I think transparency actually helps people who say, uh, you know, for coaches who speak to the media uh, and say, well, I don't want to tell them any, you know, I'm not going to talk about anything related to the injuries. Basically, you can look at the report. They talk about it being competitive advantage. I would say you've had people, I remember when Gary Kubiak was coaching the Broncos after he was at the Texans, he was great about updating injury information. I'm like, the guy won a Super Bowl. So it doesn't keep you from being successful. And you don't have to tell all the details, but giving enough for people to work with, I think is important. And uh, I think accuracy matters. I mean, what would your suggestion be then to, because like, it's, it's like, well, giving enough or whatever, we'd all love to believe that like everyone has the best intentions of the gamblers or fantasy people in mind, but they obviously don't, right? Like Bill Belichick doesn't, doesn't go to bed worrying about whether Rufus and I know whether, you know, Mac Jones is going to be playing tomorrow. Right. So what's the, is is there a way do you think that the the leagues can start mandating some level of disclosure or information about about injuries that is you know enough for people to go on or is this always going to be an area where there's going to be some sort of information asymmetry leading to an advantage for some gamblers or some fantasy players i think it's hard um to make it uniform because i think for the, what the NFL has done, and the NFL is the easiest one to look at because of this, the 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 timing and the strategy of their injury reports. We know when they come out, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we know what the, you know, and, and then an updated one on Saturday. If there's a status change, it's marked on a Saturday. Like all these things, it's filed by 6 p.m. Eastern. Like we know all these things. And I think that's as consistent as you're going to get. It's the ancillary stuff, the nuance of injury, which 
unfortunately, that's the difference between average and excellent, right? If you were somebody who just went and got the injury report, which is available on the NFL website, or it's not, it's not um, proprietary, it's out there, public information, you can see who was limited in practice, who was full, who didn't practice, whatever. But if you haven't done your homework and you don't know that so-and-so is a veteran who is going to likely get rested on a certain day, and actually the NFL now puts in the injury report uh, veteran resting player as so that you know if Julio Jones didn't practice on Thursday and that's a rest day for him, that's a rest day, not a new injury. Uh, so they already are good about that. But let's say they decide to have somebody take less reps because they have, you know, it's an older player. They have some soreness during the week. Team is, is moderating their reps. You see that so-and-so was limited in practice. That is, does that mean they got hurt in practice or does that mean they were scaling back their activity? That's where the coach, when they're talking to the media, well, the proper thing to do is to say, we just are limiting him today just to give him a lighter workload, you know, so he can manage the week versus, oh, he's got something new. That's injury. I don't know who's going to police that. Some coaches are great about doing that already. And they'll, they'll tell their reporters who are there at practice, so-and-so is going to have a light day. This is why, or yep, we have him added to the injury report. Others, they're not saying anything and they're just letting you have to go to the injury report to figure it out. Okay. Last question going uh, forward in two and a half weeks to the Bengals Niners Super Bowl. That's about to happen. <laughs> uh, we're going to get this is shades of the, what was it? The, when was that one? 81. Was there was 81, right? That was the Joe Montana and uh, Ken Anderson back in the day. The John Taylor touchdown winner against the Bengals. Oh, that was, was 1988? Maybe. Or 89. Yeah. It was one so, of those. So going back to that, and everyone should know Stefania is a big Niners <laughs> fan, so she would love for that to happen. Two questions that may impact that uh, Super Bowl potential matchup. One would be, is G was Jimmy G available? And uh, do the Bengals have more offensive linemen, more starting offensive linemen back? Uh, it's, I, I, let's start with Jimmy G. Um, the window is open, potentially. He was having some follow-up uh, imaging done on the broken foot that he suffered this year, which is obviously why he hasn't played in the last few weeks and why Brock Purdy got um, brought forward. It's it's still a tight window. He fractured a bad part of his foot. It's in the midfoot. It's not an easy uh, recovery. And what you don't want to do is undo um, – you know, it, it's not just the bone healing, which I told you is pretty standard, but it's all the things around it, you know, because you have to be immobilized for so long. Is he really going to be football ready? Could he really play a full game? But this is where some of that stuff kind of goes out the window, because now you're talking about we're talking about the Super Bowl. Right. And we're talking about a guy who has brought the Niners to the brink a couple of times. And it makes you wonder if he's even close aren't the Niners going to say, yeah, we're going to have you active for the Super Bowl. Now, it doesn't mean he's going to start. I mean, this is Brock Purdy's job, but Brock Purdy could get hurt. Um, 
in this week's game. We hope that doesn't happen. But if it were to happen, the question becomes, could Jimmy G be available? And the answer is, in that case, I think he probably could be. Um, could he be the number two to a Brock Purdy? So he's the next one in there if something happens to him in the game. I think he could be. So I think my gut tells me he'll be active for the Super Bowl unless they see something where he's really not healing at the rate that they want. As far as Cincinnati's offensive linemen, um, it's sort of a, a question of whether they're able to uh, get well enough to be functional and perform at the level they need to. They, they've done a good job of substituting. Uh, and certainly this weekend, they didn't look like they had any trouble. And probably the best advantage they have is Joe Burrow getting getting rid of the ball as quickly as he does because he's learned already that he has to um, that he had to protect himself after he had that his knee was shredded and he really didn't have the offensive line help. That's why they went out and did what they did after last year's uh, after last year's Super Bowl is they went out and got help on the offensive line because Joe Burrow wasn't protected. And we saw that it actually didn't really look like anything had changed when the year started. The best advantage that the Bengals have is Joe Burrow knows how to adjust. So I my 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 takeaway is that after seeing what I saw this past week against Buffalo, I don't know that it matters. All right. On that note, we thank you for your analysis. It's um, insightful. It's good to have someone else with a different point of view on. And I think we'll all hope for at least the Niners side of the Super Bowl. I kind of hope for Niners KC personally, but. Um, Anyways, thanks. For I saw me. I saw that movie before, and it didn't end the way it was supposed to. That's all. That there were two different teams then, so yes. we'll hope that we'll hope it it, it was it, the the ending will be a little different this time. Look, Philly is uh, we got we, Philly. That's going to be tough. Is that it's going to be tough? I'll tell you one thing. Here's just I know I know we're we're ready to get out of here, but um, everybody's talking about Jalen Hurts and and the shoulder and how does he look and is he going to run the same. And I, I think you're going to see Jalen Hurts, Jalen Hurts, even though I do not think he's hundred percent, but I think the Lane Johnson injury is huge. I think this is, uh, he, he has an injury that he needs surgery on and he's playing through it. And it's incredible that he's out there, but it's going to get worse as the game goes on. And the 49ers mark my words, that's, they're going to, they're going to try and make it awful for him. And I think that's, think that's going to be a factor in this week's game i like it a little analysis and intel <laughs> thanks for joining us stefania thanks for having me so that was stefania bell um it was interesting to definitely get a different point of view um on the podcast and it gave me a lot of ideas on how to look for clues a little bit like one of the things i think she said that was interesting was and, and this is kind of should be obvious like i mean i, I guess i think about this a lot in terms of concussions when you see them take his helmet away or take a player's helmet away, you kind of know they're not coming back in the game. And the idea, like I remember, so I was, you know, you, there were people over my house during this game. And so I was kind of entertaining and kind of watching in the background. And I, I said, Oh, they said, you know, Mahomes is hurt. And I said, I looked and he was standing on the sideline with his helmet on with a warm up on looking like pretty depressed and sad. And I remember thinking like, what do you think the chance of him coming back in the game? Why is he on the sideline if he's not coming back? And like all these kind of questions went into me when it sounds like I should have just been like, oh, interesting. He still has his helmet uniform and a warm up on. There's still a chance that he's going to come back in this game. Um, 
the other thing that I think was interesting, and I don't know, did you look? Did you run a second half for that? I assume you ran it and then decided to do nothing. Oh, you were. Yeah, with, you I, were I did. I house. did run a second half. I did, and I didn't. We, did, we didn't even talk about this. We did at that time because we were too busy drinking wine. But it would oh, yeah. have been interesting to compare notes at that moment. Yeah, I, I was trying to figure out what the downgrade was. I, I, I had the downgrade like seven and a half to eight points, and I tried to run it with that, assuming Henny, and and then it showed value on. It showed value. If I did that, it showed value in Jacksonville. If I did it with the pregame line, it showed value in Kansas City. So the market didn't. The market thought it was somewhere in the middle, and I was. I didn't think I was enough of an injury expert like Stefania to have any idea what was going on and to know if Mahomes came back, how limited he would be. So you decided to do nothing. I passed. Got it. That makes sense. Um. What about the rest of the games? How did you end up doing in those? Let's see. I had a I had a Dallas money line that lost. I had, and then what? Uh, what, I'm like, what was the first? What was the early game on Sunday? That was, was the Bengals. That was the one you won the Bengals second half. I remember. I did. I did. I did win the Bengals second half, and I didn't get that Philadelphia bet in that I was trying to get in. You remember I was talking, well, maybe I, I wasn't talking to you about it. I was talking to Mead about it, though. Uh, I, wanted, I wanted to have a sweat with you because I, I also leaned to Philadelphia, but we hadn't gotten those teasers in, so. We all ended up betting on Philly, but a little alert, minus the eight. Yeah, um, it, was, it, was a good, it was a good football week, though, with some pro- props I bet did pretty well. Second half did pretty well. If Dallas had won, it would have been, been a lot nicer, though. What what did you think of the the general um, conversation we just had with Stefania? I thought it was really interesting, and I think thinking I'm starting to think about props on the you know chance off chance I decide that I actually still want to bet Super Bowl props this year, and just thinking you think about do, how, if you do you think if you don't do um, the Super Bowl you'll just release a prop t- prop tool? Oh for, no, no, kidding, kidding, too soon. I, I think that. I think that I'll definitely be betting some props the day of the game, regardless. But the thought, the thought is how Mahomes being limited will impact the Kansas City offense. It's not just will he play. This is you know the participation rate of these receivers. It's will they be running different routes entirely? Will they be keeping running backs in to help protect that? Those types of things, which you know I'm not a football analyst like some. So I'm not, yeah, I'm not like Dave Portnoy. You're not an expert NFL analyst. No, like I'm not Dave an Portnoy. expert NFL analyst, but it, it is interesting to kind of look and, and I'm going to try to maybe find some historical comparables to sort of see uh, in other games where Mahomes was hobbled, if Ooh, their offense like changed that. and as well as other, maybe if I can find other situations where quarterbacks were severely hobbled not even Kansas City or or maybe maybe uh maybe Philadelphia at another time during the Andy Reid era. Like with there was a situation with McNabb or something like that, but to to, to kind of get some sort of idea. And I don't I don't know the answer though. That's interesting. But I, I guess for Super Bowl betting, I mean I'm not worried about it this week really because I'm not going to be doing much betting on props this weekend. But for the Super Bowl, if there is if if Kansas City makes it, 
and we know that Mahomes is hobbled and we know he won't be full strength, how that will impact how they run that offense. As I, I hate when there's situations like this, because it means that a lot of props will be off the board until later you had this, which whatever year it was with Gronkowski and the Patriots. Do you remember that year, Jeff, when he was hurt? I don't actually. It was, it was, I think the 2012. I mean, we went to so many Super Bowls. It's just hard to remember them all. No, nah, it might've, it might've been the one against Seattle or it might've been the, the second giants one, but basically if, if a significant player is, has injury questions, it affects all these other players too and how the offense is run. And so it's going to be bad in terms of prop offerings and it's going to be bad in terms of like the difficulty of analysis. So that's, I'm, I'm hoping that one way or another, it clears up at the end of the weekend. It's not going to though, right? Well, if the chiefs lose, it clears up. And if Mahomes doesn't seem limited and seems like he'll be the regular and the chiefs run their offense the regular way, then I'm not going to be super concerned for the Super Bowl. So how are you handicapping this week, especially that Chiefs game? And and it's interesting, right? Because um, you talked about the 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 Cowboys game. The Cowboys were the game you liked a lot last week. Um, how much has your opinion changed? Did you watch that game at all? The Niners game? I was uh, I was on a flight, and I wasn't able to bet the halftime. As a result, I was on a Southwest flight from Oakland to Las Vegas, and they announced that sorry, the Wi-Fi isn't working. And you what know, would how you have liked in the Southwest, you can actually watch live TV on your phone. And so I was planning on doing that. I was not able to. So I missed the third quarter. But what, I, so what I had no you... idea who I would have liked. Oh, you don't even know. I know. I don't know. We were, yeah. I don't think we had anything in that second half. I'm trying to remember. We had the Niners in the game. And um, no, we didn't have anything in that second half. Um, it was a really interesting, tough game to watch. Um, it had a lot of drama, but very little flow in that game. And it had a feeling like one big play, one big mistake would turn that game. And it it turned out to kind of not be true, meaning like there were like a series of plays. Like, you know, the 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 the, the Niners coughing up that uh, punt, Ray McLeod coughing up that punt, could have been a huge play, but because Dallas was only able to get a field goal out of it, 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 it wasn't a huge play. And then, you know, some of the DAC interceptions could have been huge plays, which they kind of were, but not nothing ever really turned the game completely. It was it was interesting. It was like the game was ready to turn one way or the other, and it never quite did. Um, what did you yeah. think about the Dallas decision to punt on fourth and ten with what was it right right before the two minute warning, having all three timeouts left? Um, you know, as I, a lot of times I evaluate these decisions by how I feel as the opposing team. And in that situation, as the opposing team, meaning the Niner, the, the, the meaning that I was rooting for the Niners, um, I was ambivalent about that decision, meaning like I would have been fine if they had gone for it. In fact, I think I would have preferred for them to have gone for it because, I think they would have stopped them there. And I think the Niners wouldn't have been able to go up two scores, which I think would have been the game. Um, my, I, I did, especially since I had in the back of my mind that Dallas might try to go for two and make it impossible for the, for the Niners to cover. And, you know, like the idea of that game coming down to a Dak Prescott 
two-point conversion um, for Dallas just like was making me sick to my stomach. So I guess I was okay. I, I wasn't, I would have been, I probably would have preferred for them as a Niners fan to go for that, which um, what, do we know whether what the, what the fourth bound bots are saying about that play? No, I, I haven't seen, but I mean, the thing is San Francisco got two first downs on that drive and Dallas still got the ball back. Now it was at their eight yard line with 40 seconds to go. And they certainly didn't manage that very well, but. So that in that in your mind, that's a good way. That's a, a reason why they should have gone for it or should have not gone for it, right? Like punting seemed yeah, like an okay decision. I, I think so. If, if they had waited till the two minute warning, you definitely. I, I think getting that punt off in time so that there's another play on the other side of the two minute warning uh, was good. But if they had gotten it off a little quicker, I mean, because you saw the Niners threw it on first. Yeah. Down, by the way, I was saying which, them, all which my is friends. the right thing to do because yeah. it's. That play was it was I think two oh five to go. Yeah, um, I said that to all my. What would have been amazing if it had been an incomplete pass with two oh one? That would have been that would have been fabulous. But uh, but they were incentivized to throw it there, and so if the not if Dallas had punted and the Niners had the ball with like two oh eight to go or something like that, that's that's worth a lot. Well, I had said to all my Niners friends that I was watching the game with, I was like, I was like, man, the the. The Niners should throw this ball absolutely right before that second. Because I think for me, whenever I watch end of game scenarios like that with teams running out the clock, I want them to throw it so much more than yeah. they do. And in well, situations, and Niners, I mean, also the Niners are able to get a lot of high complete high percentage passes, and they did that on third down um, right before they punted. They threw a little water, a screen to I think McCaffrey. You know, they yeah. they can get the those that they're really where there's really not much of a chance of an incomplete pass. So in the situation, I'm curious to to know what the numbers say about throwing an incompletion when the other team only has one time, still has one timeout left and therefore are not going to be able to bleed the clock. You're not going to be able to bleed the clock with a, with a completion anyways, meaning like, is it that costly to just give them another timeout for their offense because it's not 40 seconds at that point right it's probably 15 to 20 seconds at most right and i mean you do give them the luxury of that if, if they don't if it they if they have to score a touchdown i think it's less meaningful than if they only have to score a field goal where certainly having that timeout makes it much easier to run a field goal team onto the field but but i just think generally like these teams don't pass enough in those situations because of how you know when when it's the 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 ability to get a first down ends those games often and the ability to get one with a with a a pass versus you know running it off tackle seven times it's 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 interesting so i think for me i'm always like predisposed to looking for opportunities for them to throw the ball and with you know that side of this the two minute warning i was like oh man they should throw this ball they should throw this ball and they did which made me really happy yeah so uh this weekend what do you think? What do you, what do you got? So, uh, you know, I, I'm in no position to say whether Kansas city, Cincinnati, uh, has value or not. And as I said, Mustafa, my number would be Kansas city minus four and a half. My number on Philadelphia is Philadelphia minus 4.2. So I don't really have anything. I mean, so your number makes sense, right? Given you've been sort of low yeah. on San Francisco the whole time. Um, you know, it doesn't sound like you have a play. I think my no. play will will be the 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 Chiefs. I mean, I think there's a lot. I I think we may look back on this line, especially when this line was like 
Bengals minus two and a half. I was surprised and just at that. like and just be like, this is crazy, guys. And and you know, I think there's more than just the Mahomes injury going into this this number being so low, or even in the case of the Bengals. I think there was all of this like, and you see it, all of this Joe Burrow better than Mahomes. Is he as good as Mahomes? There's all this Cincinnati and Lou, whatever his name is, own Patrick Mahomes. It's Mahomes' kryptonite, all this kind of stuff. Like they know how to play Mahomes. They they threw last year in the second half with, you know, three offensive linemen dropping eight. They put Mahomes into a, you know, into a tizzy and all this kind of stuff. So so you kind of go back to all, all of this, you know, sort of um, you know, this this whole world, right? And and I just I just think that this is being overrated and i think we'll, we may go back when you know mahomes is okay and relatively active and he does some mahomes like things and kansas city is just a better team than the bengals and they win this game relatively easy and be like huh interesting so i my pick is my pick is the is the chiefs jeff i i made a boneheaded move actually and i was i had just loaded in my ratings into the last week's sheet and so i was still giving um credit to Kansas city and, and Philadelphia coming off the buy. So my number is actually a point and a half less on these. So it actually is Kansas city minus three and Philadelphia minus 2.7. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm cl- closer to the market and, but surprisingly that means I lean San Francisco, hmm. which is very, very surprising. Yeah. I kind of like San Francisco, but our numbers actually like uh, Green Bay. I mean, sorry, I like Philly. Um, our model numbers. I haven't bet it. What do you make it? I, I don't. We don't get a number. We just get based basically what side we like at what price. So, okay. yeah, we like it at two. We certainly like Philly at two and a half, but I may go against that. We'll see. Is the line two and a half? No. Oh, it is down to two and a half. It was three and a half before. I thought. No, it's never been three and a half. It hasn't. Okay, okay, I'm just making this up in my head. Yeah, you're making shit up. Yeah, you're right. It never was three and a half. Yep. Um. All right. Well, that's our show for the week. Unless you got anything else you want to talk about, Rufus? I think that's it. Okay. Thanks for talking to us this week. Next week, we'll maybe have a special guest in the bye week. Um. What's your What's your Super Bowl, Rufus? I'm. My Super Bowl? Mm-hmm. What is what is just my just be be a fan and pick two two teams? Oh, um, I'll, I'll take Philadelphia, Kansas City. Actually, okay. no, I'm I'm gonna no, I'm gonna take Philadelphia, Cincinnati. That's kind of what I want to see happen. I'm gonna take San Francisco, Kansas City, and hopefully we'll all get rich. So, um, talk to you guys all again next week.